HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren, and on today's episode, we're going to address the trend of plant-based cheese products. Um, According to a recent online article posted by Food Dive, um, they're saying investors have poured more than $16 billion into the U.S. plant-based and cell-based meat companies in the last 10 years. Uh, $13 billion of that was in 2017 and 2018. And then by a DuPont Nutrition and Health study, they found that 52% of U.S. consumers are eating more plant-based foods, and they believe it makes them feel healthier. So then without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guests who know way more about this than I do. Uh, I'd like to introduce Fleece Thorpe, owner of Fleece Foods, a consulting sales director for specialty food industry, and Rebecca Baker of Director of Sales on the West Coast for Treeline Cheese. Fleece, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about this. Things have been changing. Um, you guys have, in our pre-chat, we talked about this, the the shelf space between fluid milk and cheese, uh, the fluid milk cheese market and plant-based cheeses, it's been changing. Uh, Felice, I'd like to start first with you on this. Could you give us some insight to how you've seen this evolve, you know, in the last few years? Yeah, well, it goes back farther than the last few years. It started in the 1950s, actually, when margarine became popular as a low-cost alternative to dairy. And margarine is still made with mostly vegetable oil and called a non-dairy spread. And then soy was the first plant-based alternative milk and still the category leader in sales. And the alternative fluid milk and yogurt space really took off about 10 years ago. And it was mostly due to great marketing as, like you said, a better-for-you dairy alternative. Um, Unfortunately, the fast growth took a lot of the dairy community by surprise. And the marketing and some of the messaging from that side got pretty ugly And I believe that the messaging has now evolved into consumers believing that sort of propaganda. Yeah, I mean, it's a story, right? We're we're kind of, it's like news and a story. We're blending together to to see this message, how they've gone and changed it over the years. Um, Rebecca, you're working with Treeline now. 
Uh, how have you seen this change at the grocery level? Yeah, what one of the biggest changes I've seen is around where plant-based products are displayed in the store. You know, for a long time, stores had maybe one small forfeit set, typically in produce, that was sort of like a catch-all vegan alternative product set. You know, might have tofu, sauerkraut, tofurkey, all in the same small set space. But in recent years, we've seen more integration across retail, like Felice mentioned, with the products. Uh, Plant-based milk is probably the clearest example where it's now just fully integrated into the dairy milk set. And you're beginning to see plant-based butter, cream cheese, and meat now all displayed in the same department alongside traditional animal-based products. But that evolution is really retailer-specific. So the department and the buyer that I might call on, it can change store by store. And we see a lot of stores going through an evolution right now of, you know, where do we put plant-based products? You know, should it be alongside? Should it be its own set? And it's kind of an ongoing question. Yeah. It's that like when you call a buyer, is that some of the first uh, questions that they go through with you, which is where do I, where do I place this? Do they put it in the same area or, or do you, do you explain to them where they should put it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the first things I do is, you know, do a pretty detailed visit to the store to see where are, you know, similar products displayed. And then that kind of identifies, you know, who, which department I'm going to call on. And it might be to say, hey, I don't think our product should be in, you know, in your set. I think it should be in another set, but let's have a conversation and understand the strategy on both sides to see where it's going to be the best fit. And ultimately, you know, how are we going to help the consumer find it easiest? Because that's, that's the name of the game. Right, of course. And, and actually, that leads to my next question about the vocabulary and jargon we're using. Um, because Treeline, it, it labels itself as cheese, it's Treeline cheese. And that's okay. Like, how do we label plant based products now, if it's not made with milk? It's a touchy subject. I hate to bring it here almost, but it's, I'm just curious, what do you think on this? Absolutely. I mean, naming in general is, is really hard. And like you said, it's a, it's a touchy subject. And I don't know that as an industry, we found a perfect solution. I mean, we've also seen the same conversation happen within the specialty cheese industry around naming conventions. Like, you know, can you call something Gruyere or Feta if it's made in America and not in Europe? So I think sort of, you know, what to call things that crosses a number of industries. Um, There's also been countless lawsuits around what to call plant-based. And at least as it comes to milk and cheese, the courts so far have upheld the ability of plant-based products to be labeled as such. But for me, it really comes back to the consumer. You know, they're looking for a product that will do the same job as the animal-based product, but that is dairy-free or plant-based. I'll use milk as an example. Uh, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't have cow's milk, but I want something to put on my cereal, right? I want something that behaves like milk. And it doesn't matter to me, you know, whether it's almond milk or cow milk, to me, it's still, it's still milk. And that's what I'm looking for. And I think it's the same for consumers. So I think it's more about how we communicate to them uh, and kind of meet their needs. And it's interesting because it used to be, I think, vegan. And the fact I've heard you say dairy-free plant-based in our pre-chats, I'm I'm realizing like just even the way of thinking with that has changed. Um, Felice, I want to throw my next question to you. Uh, why do you believe more people are enjoying plant-based cheeses and it's not only vegans anymore? Is, is the message change? Is the story changing? What's leading this charge, do you think? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that the dairy community really, really needs to take a deep look at. And um, I think we can somewhat agree it's not because of flavor and it's not because of price because plant-based products to me, I think the general consensus is they're not as flavorful and delicious as uh, dairy cheese, and uh, they're more generally more expensive per ounce as well. So what is it? Um, if you look at the next generation of big consumers of premium food, which is Generation Z, they are very tuned into what a brand, a product, a company's mission, vision, and values are. And I think that the dairy alternative space has communicated these statements really well. And they have to communicate them well, and they have to be purpose-driven marketing companies because they can't lead with flavor and they can't lead with price. So to me, that's the only explanation. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and it, it's multi-tiered um, at this point. It, you know, it's everything. You're, you've mentioned sustainable. Um, you know, what if you're a newer company, like a startup food company? How do you mm-hmm. think they should cultivate these stories then? I mean, because again, we're aiming towards the Gen Z and they're following this trend to be healthier, but and also looking for alternatives. I see it in the markets every day when I go in. How do you think if you're a startup food company, would you advise them? Understand what your purpose is as a company and as a person. So is your cheese culturally significant? Are you wanting to make cheese from a specific region? Are you passionate about rare goats? (laughs) Um, So find out what your purpose is. But it's not, uh, despite that, it's not about being unique because cheese with chia seeds is very unique, but I wouldn't buy it and not very many consumers would buy it. So determining your purpose or your mission and then also realizing what your your competitive advantage is. So whether that's uh, flavor, price um, and or you know some other appeal from the get-go should definitely be part of the initial startup process. And how funny it's this is similar to what we've been doing in the specialty cheese industry for a, I think a very long time taking either traditional European stories or the artisanal American local movement and 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 mixing in our story different storylines and saying how they're healthier. Now we have the plant-based storyline which does have this new generation feel. And I I cannot put my finger on it. Rebecca, I don't know if you can quite explain it, but like when you're working with the marketing department, or maybe you're also marketing as well, what are you seeing as you're trying to like create the details to explain to people about Treeline? Yeah, well, for me, it again comes back to like consumer motivation. And we actually have great information about why people choose plant-based. And Today, you know, over half of American households are buying plant-based in one category or another. So it's, you know, it's really sort of a, a sea change and not a fad when it comes to what consumers are choosing. And their motivations, number one, it's choosing plant-based for health. And that makes up about 50%, 56% of the, you know, who's choosing. And then about 16% are choosing based on environmental sustainability, But I anticipate that those two numbers will eventually flip because we see the concern around environmental sustainability continuing to grow as a motivating factor for choosing plant-based and the health reasons continuing to decline. 
Um, and we mentioned, you know, Gen Z, the younger generations, they're definitely choosing on environmental sustainability. So that will only continue to increase. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's definitely uh, going to be in the episodes coming up, even on cutting the curd. Uh, climate change is a thing that is now really at the forefront of everyone's mind because of where we live and just everyday life. So, again, with products like Treeline, um, there's no carbon dioxide, right, or less carbon dioxide. I mean, what uh, when it comes to making a product like Treeline, how is it better for climate change? I guess I want to ask. Yeah, I think some of the main things for us is, you know, how and where we source our cashews, because cashews are the base of our product. It makes up about 80% of the finished goods. And so we actually pay a pretty significant premium to ensure that our cashews are sustainably farmed and ethically sourced so that we can make sure that all the way along our supply chain, we're, you know, making environmentally and socially sustainable choices. But I also think that sort of the flip side that that's gotten mentioned already is that this concern that younger generations have around environmental sustainability and how it's driving their decision, their purchasing decisions. It's a great thing that artists and cheese producers can market on as well. I mean, I could list any number of amazing artists and cheese producers making great sustainability choices like using methane digesters at Fiscalini or Beamster being climate neutral or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So I think it's more so that in the plant-based space, it's really firmly established that, you know, almost a complete halo effect of the industry that it, you know, cares for and is a better for the environment and sustainability choice. Whereas I think the dairy space just needs to do a better job of communicating and marketing the amazing work that they're already doing on around environmental sustainability. So I think in some ways it's it's two sides of the same coin. And by learning what's motivating consumers, we can all do a better job about communicating how we fit with what they're trying to choose. Mm, I see what you mean there. Um, I also wanted to bring up a sort of side note to it because you have a passion for what you sell. And I, I want to tell the listeners that you are also a cheese certified professional, CCP certified. So you have a strong cheese background and you have moved over to tree line now. What does that mean to you to be selling a plant-based cheese product? I mean, it sounds like it has to do with climate change. Maybe it was motivated by climate. Maybe it was motivated by a change in, in industry. I, I'm not sure, but I, I'm curious. Yeah, it was a, you know, it was a big decision for me. It wasn't something that I made lightly. I've been in specialty cheese for the past 12 years. Um, and like you mentioned, I've, I'm a certified cheese professional and have done lots of volunteering and supporting of the specialty cheese industry with the California Artists and Cheese Guild, American Cheese Society, and choosing to go work for plant-based was for me, a lot about following the consumer, actually. Um, it's something that, you know, there really is just this drastic shift in how consumers are uh, purchasing and changing. And that was something that I wanted to follow and understand, because I think if if we don't pay attention to this change in consumer demand, there's going to be some really big misses uh, along the way. 
Oh, that's a good point. Um, okay. Well, guys, I, I'm the teaser right now because we're going to go to break in a quick second. Uh, I'm going to ask Felice next about what mm-hmm. she thinks about the North American specialty cheese market and if they're open to plant-based products. Because again, I, I'm still not totally convinced or sure, but I think you guys are doing a great job of convincing me that this is really happening. Um, hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd, and we'll be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. Today on the show, I have Felice Thorpe and Rebecca Baker. They're both talking to me about plant-based cheese products and how the, the storytelling and the marketing of of products overall is changing really quickly. Um, so I'm going to throw this question to Fleece because she's our guru on this. Um, Fleece, do you think the North American specialty cheese market is more open to plant-based products? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, we are, our consumers are very open. Um, part of the challenges is that the Refrigerated sets, specifically yogurt and milk, and then the uh, specialty cheese set, say in Delhi, has become extremely competitive and extremely expensive. There's a lot of big money invested in alternative proteins of all kinds. And these companies are willing to pay for promotions, slotting fees, and ads. Um, and so it's kind of not an even playing field in that way. And I could see some of the specialty artisan producers just getting pushed out because they simply can't afford to stay in that space. Um, and the consumers, if it's not visible and it, you don't have, you know, great shelf placement, the consumers or, you know, a shelf talker that maybe someone has paid extra for that a small artisan producer could, can't afford, the consumers may not have that kind of visibility to those products. So like I said, it's, it's a very competitive space. It's becoming more competitive and um, yeah. So somehow the dairy community has to figure out how to keep up with that. 
right? Because we saw it happen with milk and yogurt. We talked about this. There's now coconut yogurt out there. There's all types of uh, nut milks or nut juices, as one cheesemaker joked with me. Um, you know, it, it's just how fast are we? Are we? Could we see maybe in the next two to three years, you think, that much change in the cheese section? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, if you look at fluid milk, it went incredibly fast. So I would say in the next two to five years, there's going to be a monumental shift. And what I believe the artisan American cheesemaker needs to do is stay on top of it and make three types of products. So one type of product would be a cheese that blends. So a cheese that fits within an already popular style. And another type of product would be a cheese that bends, which would be a cheese that would fit within a popular style, but maybe has a twist like a flavor or a rub or some um, interesting exterior. And a cheese that breaks, a cheese that breaks the norm totally would be a total outlier. And that's going to be the cheese that breaks the category, the outlier cheese. That's going to be where the momentum is because it ha- they have to differentiate themselves somehow with this new set that's out there. So, um, one of the one of the changes I think is going to happen as well is with all of these Instagrammable cheese boards that are so popular. Really doing something visually different with cheese. So, really highlighting the um, maybe something with flowers or something with spices, so that you get. Um, you know, we eat with our eyes and these cheese boards are beautiful that you see on Instagram. And so really playing up that kind of um, visual difference in cheese, I think that they can make a big difference with that as well. And I I love this idea, but can they work together in the same space too? Do you think they could work together? Like sort of be sold in the same spaces equally almost? The, well, in it depends on the retailer. And as Rebecca knows, there are some retailers that do that. So it just depends on, um, you know, how the retailer wants to address that. Right, right. So actually, I'll throw it to Rebecca then. How have you seen it work in the same space? Are, are people putting, uh, you know, like tree line in the specialty food cheese section, like as part of their displays, just like you can buy a piece of brie, can you buy a piece of, you know, uh, plant-based cheese? Yeah, we definitely see them uh, displayed together uh, in store. And I was actually speaking with a retailer, um, you know, this past week at at Expo East, the Natural Product Expo, and they were talking about how when they brought the, you know, vegan plant-based cheeses that were more associated with entertaining into their specialty cheese set, they saw an increase in sales in both sides of the category, dairy-based and plant-based, because it was like these consumers were being introduced to new products. And as we know, I mean, vegans and vegetarians only make up about 5% of the population. So that's a small buying base. But flexitarians are a much larger part of the overall consumer purchasing base And so having the products side by side, they allow each, you know, sort of cross pollination. So I think the greater danger is in, you know, keeping them separate because then you have consumers only buying, you know, one product or the other. And we know that plant-based is such a growing, you know, people wanting to choose plant-based is such a growing uh, consumer purchasing base 
that my fear is that if we don't find a way to integrate it, that we'll see a lot more damage to things like the specialty cheese space because they're going to lose that buyer potentially. Ah, so, and the term you used is flexitarian. So that's someone mm-hmm. who can go between both, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Or is it something is, more than that? <laughs> <laughs> it's someone that primarily follows a vegan or vegetarian diet, but not exclusively. And in particular, when they make an exception, it's often driven by indulgence. So someone who's like, I'm, I'm vegetarian, but I will never give up bacon, right? And I think that specialty cheese is the perfect example and maybe something that's currently missing based on where those customers are going to buy and shop in store because they're not seeing those great, wonderful, indulgent specialty artisan cheeses. So I'm going to I want to throw it back now to Felice then, because you mentioned your ideas for the cheesemakers to to shake things up. Um, what else should we be saying to cheesemakers out there? Because they're probably listening to cutting the curd and they're like, holy hell, what's going on? What are we going to do? Like, we need to keep up now. Um, what else can we say to them that will relieve them of, of some stress, I hope? Well, just... I, you know what? I have something that is free that absolutely every company can do. And every company does it from Volvo to Legos. And that is find your mission, vision, and values. And it's, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's absolutely imperative that every cheese company does this because right now um, and moving forward, this is a really, really important part of uh, consumers' decision around which products to buy. So spend some time on that. It's free. Um, it's super powerful. Um, Lego has fun in their mission statement, and I associate fun with Legos. Like, that's the association for me. And so find those words that resonate your brand and your product and your mission, and that's your golden rule. And, um, you know, stick to it. Consumers appreciate it. They respect it. And I truly feel like it's important. And I do feel like the plant-based community has really honed in on that and is communicating it very well. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, that's what we have to sort of watch now is is the messaging and then and the sustainability, agriculture, all that stuff, how they explain it. Um, I'm looking forward to see how that happens in the next few years. Uh, I want to go now to pairings because I think it's nice to lighten the mood a little bit at this mm-hmm. point. Felice, what what is your pairing that you uh, thought we should know about that we don't know about already? So I discovered this vodka. <laughs> um, this woman named Emily is a food scientist, and she's launched a brand called Wayward Spirits, W-H-E-Y, Wayward Spirits. And it's a vodka she distills out of whey. So it's a byproduct of cheese production. It's absolutely delicious. Has a super creamy finish. So I like to drink it with pineapple juice over ice, and it's almost like a healthy pina colada <laughs> because Ooh. it's got the creaminess of the whey vodka and the pineapple juice. And then my cheese pairing would be with that sort of um, following the global vibe is a uh, sash paneer, sash organic paneer. They're a California 
cheese brand, really lovely couple founded by Tarush and Jazz. And they came from India and couldn't find a good quality organic paneer that they um, loved. So they uh, made their own company. Um, it's beautiful. And then I dip it into a Indian mango salsa, which is um, called Kalsa Salsa. They're a uh, company from Portland. Wow. So I think all of that sounded amazing. I'm very interested in this way vodka now, by the way, you've sold me on that. Um, <laughs> but I also gathered from everything you just said that the messaging is very on point, um, which this goes back to everything. Cheesemongers, cheese producers, yeah. you have to know what you're selling. Um, that's very cool. Uh, Rebecca, I'm going to throw it to you. Do you have a pairing in mind that you love right now? Yeah, I, I've actually been on a, a total journey of learning how to pair plant-based cheeses um, because, you know, all of my uh, past work has been around pairing dairy cheeses with, you know, the whole gamut from tea to spirits to beer and wine. So I've been on like a re-education journey, which has been a lot of fun. Um, my current favorite pairing is, uh, any type of like light sour beer. So something with a nice amount of tang. And, uh, I live right next door to Russian river brewing company. So that's kind of the go-to right now is any of their sours and then pairing it with tree lines, uh, French style, uh, especially the herb garlic it has this rich, creamy texture, really spreadable and really mouth coating because of the amount of cashews that are used in the product. And the interaction between the like rich, creamy cashew cheese and the lovely like tart bubbles from the sour just creates this, you know, perfect mouthfeel. And I will liken it to the experience of having like sparkling wine with a triple creme, sort of that same mouthfeel of cleansing bubbles and a rich mouth coating product. So that's my my current favorite. Oh, that's awesome. I uh I will have to check this out. I mean, anything that's like a triple crumb is good in my book. So uh <laughs> awesome. I will do that. Um I want to thank you both for coming on the show today. This has been awesome. Enlightening and awesome. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah. And it's been great hanging out and talking with Rebecca. We we've known each other for years and really respect each other and really love I really love what she's doing. So um it's, I'm glad that we can have a civil, um, interesting conversation around this really important subject. Same. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, well, I'll just say this to everyone and then Rebecca, you should, uh, you should mention, uh, anything you want to mention is that you told me not to say verses on this show. And I, and I think we did a great job of really, uh, mentioning all the good points about what is going on out there. And it's, it's more of a shared marketplace right now. And, and I get that feeling from both of you. Yeah, I think the more the more conversation we have, the better, right? Where there's always room to learn something new. And my perspective has always been, you know, broad support and engagement is better than sort of a, you know, an, an antagonistic uh, stance uh, is actually something when I decided to go work in the plant-based industry, I was very particular about the type of company I would go work for because it is not like I'm not a vegan. It's not in my nature to work for, uh, you know, a company that is anti a, a whole industry that I love and actively support. So I want to find ways to continue to give back and support the industry where I kind of grew up professionally in the specialty cheese industry. And 
believe again, the more, the more conversation we have and mutual education, the better. Yeah, that that's it. That's definitely it. All right. Well, listeners, you heard it here on Cutting the Curd. Uh, you can follow Felice at, at Thorpe Felice, T-H-O-R-P-E Felice. And Rebecca is R-E-B-E-K-A-H dot M dot Baker. Uh, and you can follow us at Cutting the Curd or myself at Kara Warren. Uh, please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, thanks and eat more cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.